You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We want to find your Bibles. I'm going to ask you to go to a different place. That, uh, I'm going to break away from Matthew. I'd rather bring the message that's uh, going to be in Matthew when we're all here. So if you'll look in Second Chronicles chapter 20, this is a very um, special passage for me. A lot of years ago when I, um, I don't know, as a preacher, they tell you to be ready to preach, pray, or die, which means if um, you're called on to preach and you didn't pack an extra message or two in the back of your Bible, <clears throat> that I would, this would be my go-to message because I, I loved what it said so much and it was such a blessing to me. It still is, obviously. And so... Um, this morning I was in my office and I knew this is what I wanted to go to and, and um, trust and pray it can be a, a blessing to you like it is to me. Every time I go through this, Second Chronicles 20, is everybody there? Okay, and this is the one, some of you will remember the title, I don't know that you'll necessarily remember all the points of the message, but uh, three confessions every Christian ought to make. Three confessions every Christian ought to make. And I I would honestly say that today, that the three things that um, our man of Scripture, we're going to bring out uh, Jehoshaphat here in just a minute, that he said to the Lord really should be an attitude that all of us should have every day of our life. And if we can get these three things in perspective, I I think that uh, life's going to be a whole lot better. Before I do that, let me just mention two things. Number one... um, so we have uh, a brand spanking new one in service today, right? So Gabe and Stephanie are here today with little Bennett weighing in at eight pounds, three ounces, um, 20 something inches, 21 inches, and uh, praying that he looks more like mom than dad, but uh, we're, we want to say praise the Lord and, and we're excited what day was that you had him on Wednesday and here on Sunday praise the Lord I told him I said call him who was it I said Snowden that was that was uh, you guys um, had the little one on a snowy day it seems like and uh, I said should name him Snowden but they didn't go with that but um, but we also have uh, a baby dedication at the end of the service and we're looking forward to that and we've got some folks visiting here in light of that as well so we're thanking the Lord now, if you're in 2 Chronicles 20, I want to I go to this. And if you can, I know when you kind of break into an Old Testament story that, <clears throat> that it can kind of be like, wait a minute, what's the setting here and what's going on? And, and this is really, it's one of those you can kind of break into and just see what's happening. You, you know there's trouble that's developing. And I mean, it's not, a, it's not little trouble, it's big trouble. And so uh, what, what in the world do you do? And again, those three confessions is what every Christian better know how to say and be ready to say those to the Lord. But if you look in verse 1, let's notice here, 
Um, I don't know if you, at the top of your chapters, if you have uh, headings that say things about what your chapter is going to be like or what it's going to be about. Mine says victory over Moab and Ammon. And so if you'll notice in verse 1, it came to pass after this also, another series of events obviously, that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites uh, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Now just, you need to know this about um, Jehoshaphat is one of the good kings. He's one of the really, really good kings. And uh, he tries to serve God, does the best he can. But just because you try to live a good life and try to serve the Lord is certainly no indication that you're going to have a a trouble-free life. And trouble does come to anybody, especially if you're going to decide to have a walk with God. Um, You know, one time when you don't know the Lord, you're walking in an opposite direction of God. You're just going right along with the world. And then you decide, I'm going to serve the Lord and I want to get involved in the work of Christ. You turn around and head back in the other direction. You've got the entire world coming at you and you're crashing into them as you're trying to walk and serve God. That's what we're going to find here today. So, came against Jehoshaphat to battle at the end of verse 1. Look in verse 2. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, how'd you like to get this email? Uh, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, obviously, guys, we've got multi-thousands of people moving into their territory. They're not coming for good reasons. They want to wipe them out. They want to take all their treasures, kill as many of them as they possibly can. And this is not a good day. And like I said, this is not the kind of email that you want to get, but that's certainly one that he has got. So he does the right thing. Uh, Number one, when you're fearful, uh, go to the Lord. He proclaimed a fast, and he determined, I'm going to put my flesh to death because your flesh likes to scream at you and try to tell you what you should and should not be doing when you're most afraid. And when you fast and pray, it's when you kind of put, you know, the old flesh, deny it, and uh, so that its voice is not being heard or fed, and you just have one focus on the Lord. That's where Jehoshaphat has gone at this place. Verse 5, and Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, and this is a tremendous statement, um, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever? And that idea behind that is, well, if it was forever, what's going to happen when these guys come down and try to take over us, trying to end that forever relationship? And in verse 8, and they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, and listen to this, here was the, um, the commitment of God to them, if when evil cometh upon us, 
as the sword judgment or pestilence or famine. We stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. So he's just reminding God of what God has said to him. Verse 10, and now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou, it's almost sounds like a complaint, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But uh, they came out of the land of Egypt, but turned from them and destroyed them not. Verse 11, behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. And then if you'll listen, especially in verse 12, and this is where I believe he really pours his heart out, and this is the bottom line. Um, and I have to say, it takes so many of us so long to get to verse 12 in our, in our life when we have so many things that are coming against us and life is beating us down and very fearful things are out in front of us. We start talking to God and we start wading through a lot of things that are working on our hearts and our minds. And, and I'm not saying those things are unnecessary, but I will say this, until you get to verse 12 in your heart, not a whole lot is going to do a whole lot of good until you can get to this place. He's down to the bottom of the barrel. This is where he really is. This is, as we say, the, the bottom line. And now he's talking from his heart to God and makes these three confessions here in verse 12. Follow along there. Um, he continues with his previous thoughts. O oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? And that's not one of the statements. But here we go. Number one, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Then he says, number two, neither know we what to do. Then the greatest of the three is, but our eyes are upon thee. That's the bottom line. When everything is shoved aside and all the other thoughts and all of my fears are just kind of you know, shoved out of the way, and that's just my heart and God, and I've got to say what I've got to have, or I, uh, or I feel like I'm going to fail in this life. Those three things is what he said, and I believe it's three things that every Christian needs to bear in his heart and mind on a daily basis. Let me have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the message here. Father, thank you again for uh, the safety of bringing us who are here today to the house of God. And uh, Lord, we've come out of a dedication to you and your word. And I'm, I'm grateful, Lord, that uh, those who are here have made it. And I, I do pray today, God, that you'll take the word of God and sink it deeply into our hearts and souls here today. And may you do a great work today, Father. I would even ask that um, those of us here today may be a little tired and weary, maybe from uh, shoveling the snow or our thoughts may be in other directions. Please help us, God, to look down to the depth of who we are this morning and to know what the greatest need of our life really is, to be very transparent with the Lord. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a lot of years ago, I remember listening to a family counselor, about ready to say his name, it just won't come to me. He was, um, he was telling about how he would counsel with um, lots of couples. And he said, I remember this one couple in particular. This couple um, 
the husband was a professional football player and uh, was very good at what he did and, and the football player was rough and rugged and and yet uh, when they came into his office to counsel the the wife was sitting there weeping and talking about how gruff and rough her husband was to her and how harsh he was and that he treated her just like one of the men on the team and she was heartbroken and she just needed him to be a little more affectionate um, so um, she was she was broken and the counselor was trying to get him to be affectionate to her and to show her uh, some tender attention so the counselor looked at him and said to him you know um, why don't you just right now while we're sitting here it would be a nice thing if you just you know, just put your arm around her while we're sitting here in this session. And, and she looked at the counselor and began to cry, and she, and she said, uh, you just need to understand, he can't do this. He didn't know how to show love and affection and attention in a, in a way that a wife really needed it. And the husband, being the football player that he was, he sat up on the edge of his seat, looked at the counselor, looked back at his wife, and he said, I can't do this. So he puts his really affectionate arm around her, not really, I mean just this really tough kind of love, and I can do this, I can get my arm around you. And I, I think of how many Christians in the Christian life try to toughen up, try to get to a place where you see a circumstance that you've not been real good at thus far, and something that is coming at you that is, you know, beyond you. And then we just, you know, the old saying, pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. Uh, I can do this. You just give me enough time. I, I can make this happen. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll make it through this. And what you're really saying a lot of times, guys, what a lot of us are saying is, I'm tough enough to handle this. I don't care what the circumstance is. I, I'm going to plow my way through this. And I have to tell you, there's a lot of Christians, if you look backwards in the Christian walk, and the people that you know, and the people maybe that have worked their way through our church over the years, that have determined that I'm tough enough, I'm strong enough, I can handle what's coming at me, but if you look backwards at a trail behind you, there's a lot of debris which is representing the Christians who've tried to make it on their own, and they could not make it. I'll be the first one to tell you, I cannot make it on my own. And when life gets tough in the ministry, and things start coming at me, when things in our marriage starts working against us, I'll be the first one to tell you, I cannot do that on my own. I don't have the strength to do that, and I will readily admit to anybody that in and of myself, I do not have the strength to do that. I, I read years ago about a man in Zanesville, Ohio, who had so tried to make life happen by himself, he had this little private... I don't know what else to call it other than a private zoo of his own, that somehow, someway, he was allowed to have these animals, and he reached a breaking point in his life and was going to take his life. And before he did that, uh, what a newspaper article. You ought to go online and read it. The guy had lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. But um, monkeys and um, he just named... Uh, all kinds of wild animals that he had in this preserve in his backyard, I don't know. And life got so tough that before he took his own life, he went and opened up all the gates to all the wild animals. And I mean, the tigers and the lions running through the streets and they, the wolves, he had wolves. And uh, so they're having to run around and um, 
take these animals out. They tried to save as many of them as they could. They just couldn't. Guy just reached a breaking point. And when we get to that breaking point, guys, sometimes it's not the wild animals that are turned loose. Sometimes it's what, you know, the wild animal in the heart. It just gets turned loose and we go running crazy and don't know what to do. Now, Jehoshaphat could have been there. Honestly, Jehoshaphat could have said, I know the numbers in those armies. And I know how tough those armies are. That guy that come running up and telling me, I saw the fear in his eyes. I knew what that represented. And I know that the small number of people that we've got that are in our group that we could mount up some kind of a, you know, a force against them is so small. We're not going to make this. This is not a good day in the history of Judah. And as far as I'm concerned, Jehoshaphat says, if it's up to me, we are not going to make this. This is a place that goes far beyond my human life. And I, I, let me just say this again, guys. We're all going to come to that place at some point in your life. And if this is a good day for you, then I say, praise the Lord. You guys that love the snow, uh, good for you. <laughs> Maybe this is a great day for you. Uh, or, you know, a point in your life where things are going really good. But I will tell you this, you will have some difficult days. And you are going to have some times where something comes so strongly up against you that the forces that come up against you, when you look out at that and you try to do some figuring and calculating in your own heart and your mind and your spirit between you and what's standing in front of you, you're going to become very, very fearful, if not to the point where you're going to fall apart. And the wild animals inside want to be released. And, and I don't know what to do. And sometimes in the Christian life, some people just kind of go a little bit berserk. Um, I've reached places in my life where I, I didn't know what to do. And things were so tough, I felt like I was literally gone crazy. So Jehoshaphat just turns around to God. He, makes, he reminds him of some things here. He says, you know, God, I know you're the great and mighty God. You're the one that told us that if we got into trouble and the enemy or whatever it might be came against us, if we would stand in this place and turn our hearts towards you, that you would listen to us and you would hear our prayers. And he's reminding God of, of some um, prayer promises, which would be a good place for all of us to have some of those prayer promises tucked away in your own heart and mind and be reminded that uh, God does tell us to call unto me and, and I will answer thee and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. One of my favorite ones, I, I love to, to run to that one and, and to be re, uh, reminded for myself and to remind God as if he needs to be reminded. That God, you told me I could come to you and if I would cry out to the Lord God, you would, you would hear my prayer and, and, and I could present my need and you would handle that. That's where Jeho Jehoshaphat is today. Look at his three confessions as we work our way through that. Once again in verse 12. After the first phrase, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? And then he makes the first request, or uh, excuse me, the first confession. For we have no might against this great company which cometh against us. Uh, we're not sure how many thousands had allied together to come against Judah. We, we don't know the exact numbers, but we do know that this is God's correction on Jehoshaphat. God's kind of using this to kind of bring his heart back in line with him uh, because he had teamed up 
with a backslidden Israel and Ahab and for some reason decided he would go up with them and help them fight against battles when God clearly told them stay away from the northern tribe of Israel. But he went ahead and did it anyway. And God is allowing this to bring him face to face back with God and face the issue that was really going on in his heart. Um, But uh, no doubt their armies were many times more than what Judah had. It was obviously going to be a rout. They were going to be wiped out. Jehoshaphat knew this. There's not a chance in the world of them winning this battle. And so Jehoshaphat proclaims a fast and he cries out to God. And as I've already said, he talks about God's great power. I've reminded you that, that we found there in verse 6. And he he tells the Lord that God's people are in trouble and that they now stood in that place where you promised if we would seek forgiveness and ask for help, that you would do that. And he's reminding God of that very strongly. So we get down to verse 12 and Jehoshaphat begins that threefold confession. And here he goes, God, I just have to tell you, this is where I'm at. We don't have any might against this great company which cometh up against us. I don't have any strength to go up against this great battle. I have a little bit of strength of my own and my few soldiers that I have might be able to handle a few dozen of them, but God, we don't have what it takes to be able to go up against this great enemy. Um, And God's tried to share that with us as well. For instance, in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, the Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Listen to what he reminds us of. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is who the real battle is really with in the Christian life. And guys, we can't wrestle those kind of uh, enemies with flesh and blood. We can't just have such strong determination that we're going to make it through this. Uh, We're just going to do it no matter what. We don't have that in us to do so. God tells us that. The weapons of our warfare, are they're not carnal or fleshly. Our weapons are mighty through God. And that's the only way we're going to win any kind of battles. The Bible describes in the book of Revelation um, countless millions of angels that worship God. And if you remember, a third of all those angels were drawn down from heaven by Lucifer or Satan himself. And a third of all those angels are on this earth. We call them fallen angels. You can call them demons. Call them what uh, unclean spirits, if that's what you want to call them. But uh, they are working against us on a regular basis. I've said this many times, if God would somehow give us the spiritual eyesight right now, to have our eyes opened up to be able to see what is at work in this auditorium. Well, you can see there's a preacher preaching a message to a group of people, but if God would let us see what's taking place in the air that is just above us, Satan is the prince and the power of the air. And there are demonic forces that are constantly fighting against you and me, always. You say, preacher, I don't like talking about that. Don't talk about demons. Well, let me quickly tell you, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I I mean, uh, we know that. uh, But you can't dabble around with the evil world and, and get out in the world and expect to live like the world and then expect to have some great strength against them. I'm just saying here today, when you stop and look at the millions that are fighting against Christianity and all the wickedness that's coming in and pounding on the hearts of you even here today, I mean, we'd be a fool to sit here today and and not make the same confession that, God, I don't have any might against this great company that comes against us. 
I don't have what it's going to take to fight against demonic forces and fiery darts that are constantly coming into my mind that Ephesians tells us about. I don't have within me what it's going to to take to get beyond this. And if I could just challenge us here this morning, if every Christian would just bow before God today and make that honest confession, I don't have any power against the enemy. I'm helpless and I'm hopeless against them. This is going to be a losing battle today, God, if it's all about me. But can you be honest about that today? You don't have strength against the enemy. Uh, to, to our teenagers, if we have any teenagers in, we've got a couple of teenagers here today. You don't have the strength to fight the enemy that is coming against you. You don't have what it takes to win this battle. And it took Jehoshaphat, guys, getting to the place where multi-thousands of enemy are coming at them to where he finally has to make that admission because he thought, you know what, I'll go up and fight with Ahab against their enemies. I'll join armies with the wicked ones. Well, what's the, what's the problem with that? There are, uh, you know, longtime rel- relatives anyway. Yeah, but they've long time ago separated from the Almighty God. And Jehoshaphat, you made a horrible mistake by doing that, going up with the enemy to fight with the enemy. And somehow, someway, you think you've got enough power within you to be able to fight against that enemy and the wicked one that comes at you on a regular basis. So God says, I'm going to show you just how weak you really are, Jehoshaphat, because you really need to know that the only way you're going to make it in this life is with me. So for the Christian here this morning, uh, I'll be the first one to an altar and bow before a great and mighty God and let him know I do not have what it takes to make it in this life. And I'd be a fool to try to run around and expect that I can not have some kind of a walk with God and a relationship with the Lord and still walk in this world and live for God. We're foolish to think that, that we can just make it in life. Well, so many times, we all know what I'm talking about. We get up in the morning, we're a little bit late and we jump uh, into our clothes. We, We jump in the car, head off to work and not a word said to God about the great battle that is coming up against you. So if we could just on a regular basis be willing to admit and to tell God, I can't make it. Number two, notice what he said again. Um, get into those three confessions there in verse 12. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Number two, neither know we what to do. Now that's a big one. Um, Jehoshaphat then says, not only do we not have enough might against these many people, God, here's something else, we don't know what to do either. I had, um, I had a daughter. I still have three daughters. We have three daughters. Let me start this over. We have three daughters. One of them is the most amazing thing in the whole wide world, was born a genius because she knew how to do everything before we ever showed her how to do it we would set something down in front of her I'm not going to tell you which one it was it was one of my middle daughters but we could um, we could just we could like now we need you to do this and and here's how you I can do this I, I know how to do this have you ever done this before no like what's that got to do with this and so we would hand her something to go ahead and do it. And about five minutes later, we would come back and sweep up the mess. Uh, <clears throat> just loved to do things on her own. 
What's so sad about that is there's so many adults are still like that. We, we run around in the Christian life, we head out into the world, and we think we have life by the tail. I, I, I know how to handle this. I know what to do. What are you going to do if you get into, into trouble, you may ask a, a young child. What are you going to do if this happens? Well, I, I don't know, but I know what to do. I'm going to know what to do. And Christians, again, we go running out into this world and acting like we know what to do and like we have a handle on this world. And I would just say, God have mercy on the Christian who thinks they've got life all figured out. Uh, some of us have served so long that we can just, you know, we can operate on autopilot. Do you know what I mean, guys? Everybody looking up here listening? We can operate on autopilot. We know where, uh, what clothes we're going to wear to church tomorrow. Uh, I sing in the choir. I go here. I get in the room. We practice. We go home. We sing our songs. We go home. We, I mean, you've got life's on autopilot, and you know how to do all those things. And I can handle life because it's so ingrained in my mind until God allows something to come into your life somewhat sometimes on purpose to show you you don't have life by the tail and you don't know how to do everything that's coming your way i am your only source and hope for anything in this life all wisdom is from god uh, is from god and it, and it is of god god alone is the omniscient one all-knowing deuteronomy 29 29 the secret things belong unto the lord our god <clears throat> so friend if I could just put it this way again this morning, the sooner you admit it, the closer you are to help from God, I don't know what to do. I don't have life all figured out. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with saying that. You say, well, I'm, I'm this old in the Christian life. Don't you think I ought to know how to do a few things? Well, of course. I mean, we're trained and, and, and others have shown us certain things, but let's just get down to the bottom line. We get to the bottom of the barrel. I really don't know how to make sure life happens and how to make these problems disappear that are in my life or in our, with our family or, or when I get to work. I just don't seem to know how to make things gel together there. And, and my life really has kind of fallen apart, God. And unless God steps in and gives me the wisdom, uh, then my life will continue to fall apart. If any man lack wisdom, do what? Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. So go to God and tell him, God, I, I can't do this. I don't have the mind to know how to make this happen, and I need you. Which takes us to the last one, and it's the greatest confession you could make. Back down into verse 12 one more time. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Number one. Here's number two. Neither know we what to do. And here's the biggest one. <laughs> I love this. But our eyes are upon thee. Okay, here's what really I believe God's trying to help us to understand this morning. You can get into a place in life where you find out you're the greatest weakling in the world and you don't have the strength to get past where you're at in life. Uh, you, you can even come to a place where uh, you've searched your heart and your mind and you, you've run to friends to find out how can this and that get taken care of and nobody's really come up with any kind of a solution that is, uh, is handling these things in life. But you come to the recognition and the realization at those points where you're wholly desperate and the world has given me nothing that I really do need. 
you finally get to the place where you turn your eyes up toward heaven and say, God, I know all these things are true. I don't have any strength. I don't have any wisdom. But here's what I do know. I do know how to put my eyes on the one who has the strength and who has the answer to all of life's issues. And I can do that. And I'm just a little child like, okay, I'll use names now, Candace. She'd break something after knowing how to do everything, would turn around to me with that look on her face like, I did it again. And she'd hold out something that was broken, and I'd go over to her, and I'd say, now here, honey, let's put it back together, and here's how you're supposed to do that. And she'd very humbly sit there for about 30 seconds, sit there and, um, and would try to learn what was supposed to be done. I really believe what God wants is just in a real humble, broken fashion with all the broken pieces from what we have been such a failure at, because we are. Just walk back to God and just say, God, I don't have the strength, I don't have the know-how, but I know the one that does. My eyes are upon you. And if God would look into your heart this morning and, and examine where you're really at in life, you know what I mean? Where you really are in your walk with God, would God honestly be able to look at you and say, their eyes are on me? You know, Psalm 121, I, I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. Um, and, and can you honestly say that with all my heart, I really do believe that as life gets tough, that I, I do have my eyes on God today. And it just, you know, think about men like Samson. He finally did uh, get his eyes turned on the Lord and, and uh, accomplished more in one day than he had in his entire previous life. And I know his eyes had been put out, but he put those eyes of his heart on God. And he said, oh God, restore my strength and, and avenge me of my two eyes. And, and, you know, his heart was really turning back to God. And he pulled the post down. And 3,000 Philistines were killed that day, more than he'd ever killed in his entire lifetime because he got his eyes on the Lord. And I, I would ask you this morning, if you looked into your own heart, are you here today saying, I've got the enemy right in my face? And it's an easy uh, determination. I, I don't have any might against this enemy. And I, I don't know what I'm going to do about this circumstance in life. But let's make the third confession this morning. God, I'm putting my eyes on you. Our eyes are upon thee. And I need you to give me the grace and the strength. And would you be my strength? And would you be the knowledge that I'm needing to make it through this point in my life? God, here I'm taking you by the hand. Would you walk with me now? and give me what I need to make it through the life that I'm leading. Verse 6 again. Let's look at it one more time. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen, and in thine hand is there, no, is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? And the answer is, yes, absolutely. So um, could we just do this this morning? Could you bow your heads with me this morning? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to pray and ask for God's uh, grace and strength to be upon us here in our uh, invitation time. But our heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking about. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.